Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey Mets fans, welcome to episode 250, 250 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, I'm your host for this week, thank you for listening. It's uh, it's not been a fun week to be a Mets fan, uh, but that's okay, we're here with some fun to hopefully distract you from the pain of being a uh, supporter of the New York Metropolitan Baseball Club. First up, Chris McShane and I talk about the week that was... Talk about some trades, talk about some uh, some words out of Robert Gazelman's mouth, and uh, yeah, enjoy. Well, Chris, both of us are recording not in our normal spots tonight. Both of us are recording in front of our TVs with the hope that we could watch a bit of the Mets-Yankees uh, fourth game of the Subway Series, but now that, now that we're in this situation, uh, both of us probably wish we were recording in our usual spots tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i mean we are at a point and he's out of the game now uh so this will be true until his next start or until rafael montero's next start but steven Matz has a higher era 
this year than Rafael Montero. That's, that's a, not good. No, that's a crazy statement. Uh, it, it is. <laughs> uh, I, he just looks absolutely lost. Yeah, and you know, I know. Uh, just in watching this game tonight, uh, Maggie Wigan of, of Mets Blog, a friend of the site, uh, you know, she's she had said at this point, I'm just operating on under the assumption that he's hurt this year. To which I replied. Uh, that might be synonymous with saying that Steven Matz is pitching. Right, yeah. You know, I mean, it's... What's frustrating, I guess, is that he's been effective when he's been healthy in the past. And then this year, you know, we know he said early in the year that he wasn't going to throw his slider or, or keep it very, very minimal to try to stay healthy. You know, his innings pitch total still isn't that high, and the results have been just unimaginably bad for him you know it's and it sort of fits this theme with most of the rotation but you know I mean, he, he, right now he's sitting on a 6.08 era and what has he had two starts that gave us some hope maybe hmm maybe maybe one maybe, or th- maybe three yeah maybe a little bit more i mean it feel, a year ago it was like oh he's pitching he was pitching extremely well, and then the results started to slow it down later in the season before they shut him down uh, with the bone spur, right? If I'm remembering the... Uh, that sounds about right, yeah. The sequence correctly. But, yeah, this year he's had... Let's just do uh, handy-dandy game score. Not the end-all, be-all of pitching stats, but a nice... No, but it was quick, certainly uh, a quick one for our conversation tonight. I would say he's had three great starts this season. Okay. Out of, all, out of how many? Out of, uh, well, tonight was 13. Okay. So all uh, those three, and by great, I don't, I'm not even really necessarily touching on previous Stephen Matt's greatness, but each one was seven innings. Two of them were no runs. The third was one run. Uh, the only thing, all three, the strikeouts were down, and that's something that we've seen kind of across the board for him this year. Um so yeah, I, yeah I'm, just, I just, I'm reminded of of our illustrious host emeritus Jeff saying a number of times that Stephen Matz is a motherfucker, mm-hmm. and just like th- this guy, just you know, he fights and he's you know he doesn't give up and he just you know when when the chips are down, he's a guy that's going to give it his all, and you know I'm I'm sure that Jeff is correct that that's how he used to pitch, but I haven't seen much evidence of that. He just hasn't put himself in a position to be that guy, you know? Yeah, and and it's – I mean, one thing I'll say, those three starts that that I'm pointing out all came in his first half. Uh, You know, the turning point was after one of them, honestly. July 3rd, he he throws a good game against the Nationals. Uh, And then July 9th, he goes out and gets rocked, and he hasn't pitched more than five and two-thirds innings since, and he's given up multiple runs uh in every start and 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 several of them five or more runs so i don't know maybe maggie's right maybe you know and and again she was only saying it's speculation so that is what it is maybe there's something that came up specifically uh between july 3rd and july 9th that's always a possibility sure but 
I don't know. You know, it, it, it's there's no way of us knowing. Uh, you know, the knock on him has always been that he doesn't stay healthy. So maybe he's pitching through stuff, but I, I, I don't know. I just, to me, I wouldn't go in. I, I couldn't if I were in charge of the uh, the roster. I couldn't go in penciling him into any of the five slots in the rotation for opening day next year. And that's that's insane. Like, <laughs> seeing the talent that he has and what he did on the field in 2015, that sounds crazy. But I'd have to have five other guys slotted in ahead of him and then take what I get from him. But, I mean, think about, you know, just you mentioned 2015. Think about the stock of the Mets starting pitching since 2015. DeGrom's stock is still high. I think Syndergaard's stock is still just about as high. Yes, he's been hurt, but that's that. Every other well, well-touted well Mets young pitcher, Harvey, Wheeler, and Mats, all look like completely different pitchers than they did two seasons ago. Right. It, it's been an incredibly fast decline for these guys. And I'm not, I'm not putting the blame for that on them. You know, a lot of it has been bad luck. Harvey has a you know a freak the, the the thoracic outlet syndrome is not something that he could have prevented in any way you know um, Wheeler had you know a very long recovery from Tommy John all of this is legitimate but I mean the Mets pitching staff as of the beginning of last season was considered to be you know top two or three in baseball and now I mean I don't even know where you'd rank the Mets pitching staff yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I'm with you. Syndergaard, I think, is going to be just fine when he comes back from this. Yeah. Um, maybe I should be more pessimistic, given the way injury recovery has gone in general. <laughs> yeah. But it's just not on the level of what happened with Harvey. Um, and Mats and Wheeler have just had a harder time coming back. The, the heartbreaking thing, and, and I know that, uh, you know, there's probably not a lot of people out there who feel bad for Matt Harvey, which is not fair. I, I really don't think. Uh, so I'll say the heartbreaking thing with his career is that he, you know, he's dominant. He has Tommy John. He comes back. He wasn't quite as dominant, but that's also not an insult. No, like he, he was still he quite came good. Back really well. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you, you would see a guy who would come back from Tommy John his first season would be a little diminished uh, and then get better. Yeah, Harv so, was hitting like 95 in spring training after his Tommy John surgery. Right. So, yeah, you know, to go from that level of talent. And, you know, I, I know he was, I know he was, uh, you know, a pick who got money when he signed. I know he's made some money at this point. I'm not, I know people aren't going to shed any tears over, you know, the rest of his career, especially because of the image that's sort of been created uh, around him, um, you know, the, the only thing he when he didn't show up for the game earlier this year, that was a mistake that he made. Everything else that he did to me was nonsense to be, you know, criticized to the level that it was. Maybe the Qualcomm thing. Well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, we can have some fun with that. But yeah. like the guy went on Jimmy Fallon. He did a funny thing. He he had the audacity, right, to uh, to go to Rangers games. <laughs> Like in his own personal time, you know, it just, it's been such a bizarre, and I'm not saying that he might not have some like, some ego self- issues or whatever. Yeah. Right, right, right. Whatever. That, that might be it. But 
I don't know. To me, it's just a, it's talent that I don't know if it ever gets back to where he was, um, even his post Tommy John self. And I don't know. That that's that's kind of sad. It's just what's especially sad to me is that you know you get on one hand you get people criticizing Matt Harvey. On the exact same hand, not even not even a second later, they're also criticizing guys like Lucas Duda for being quiet and for being reserved. You can't right. have it both ways. You're either you're either going to be a quiet guy who's going to get shit for being quiet, or you're going to be a an outgoing guy who's going to get shit for being outgoing. How do you win? Not everybody's David Wright. Not everybody has a million dollar smile and is media trained within an inch of their lives. And uh, you know, it's just not possible. Right, yeah, you have Wright and Jeter sort of as those guys. But even and Jeter could be hard. a little surly every now and then. Yeah, yeah, but you, you never you never heard anybody complaining about it. Right, yeah. Not anyone who, you know, had a keyboard and got paid money to write about him. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, no, it's you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Uh I think people have extremely high standards for baseball players who whose standards are, are probably higher than the fans realize and um, what they do every day. I mean, just as a recent example and, you know, recent games, uh, Gary Cohen's gotten upset. And you can tell he hasn't really gone into it too much. But if Cespedes is at the plate and the catcher drops a third strike, Cespedes is pretty much not running to first base at this point. Gary Cohen is not taking that well. <laughs> I do not care because the Mets had him playing out there for three weeks, a month, with a bad leg or bad pair of legs. And the dude's feeling good now. And he has been busting it when, he, you know, if it's a fly ball he can get to. He's been busting it when he puts a ball in play. Um, drop third strikes, season's over. I really, I just, like, that's not a priority to me. I'd much rather he stay healthy, finish the season, and then, you know, go into next year feeling good about his legs. I agree completely. But that's me. No, I, I, I completely <laughs> agree. I, I can't imagine that being a big deal to me. Right. But I mean, it, I'm not Gary Cohen. Comes back from me. No. No. And, 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 uh, I don't know. Just for me, it's, if a guy is not committing violent crimes off the field, I, there's a lot of leeway for me. You know that that is a character issue that I uh, do care about. Yeah. Aside I, from that, you know, I, I, I mean, will like, add in uh, hate speech of any kind. You know, we we've had players use uh, yeah, yeah. derogatory terms for for gay people or racial epithets. You know, those sorts of things. I, I'm not going to stand for either, but. Well, yeah, no, of course not. Um, and those, unfortunately, they're not. They, they do pop up every once in a while. We haven't had uh, anyone in a Mets uniform. You know, obviously Daniel Murphy may have expressed a, a view, but I, he didn't delve into derogatory terms or anything. So I don't think we've had to deal with that with a Mets player any time in recent memory. Right? right. No, I don't believe so. But yeah, but but I'm with you. Like, unless yeah. they're doing something that clearly demonstrates that they are, uh, that they have some sort of issue that is beyond being, 
overly confident or cocky or whatever, like, you know, then then I understand taking taking note and being upset about it. But just, you know, just being just being a young guy enjoying New York City, I don't I don't get the anger at that. I really, really don't. Yeah. So yeah. Get somebody up uh, in the rotation ahead of Steven Metz. And and we'll hope that Harvey and Wheeler are better. I get I don't know. We'll have plenty of time to delve into the uh, the free agent market, but yeah. I might dabble for a second right now. <laughs> Go right ahead. While, while you I do mean, that, uh, l- let me just say that uh, while speaking about free agents, the Mets have done their best to uh, shed themselves of any upcoming free agents for this season uh, by trading both Jay Bruce and Neil Walker since last we spoke. Uh, their returns on both of those guys have been... Uh, I'm going to say more or less universally derided by Mets fans, uh, even if I think that Mets fans are doing their typical thinking their players are worth more than they uh, perhaps actually are game, which, you know, is a popular game this time of year. Um, But, you know, while we're talking about free agents for next year, I I think it's also interesting to – to circle around to just the overall payroll and and what is expected of the Mets payroll wise for next year and what's expected of uh, what's expected of the rest of the season in terms of trying to get rid of uh, Isdrubal Cabrera, um, Curtis Granderson, and, and possibly even more uh, players. But uh, before we get to that, do your quick free agent pitching spiel. Oh well, there are a lot of guys who will be out there on the market. Uh, um, varying levels of how you know of effectiveness. Some of them are probably going to be expensive. Some may not be. Uh, you know, a dream scenario where R.A. Dickey comes back is probably not happening just yet because uh, he's been pitching better lately, and the the Braves have a pretty affordable option on him for next year. Uh, but Bartolo's back out there. I'm not saying these are the best options. I'm just saying <laughs> there are guys like Jeremy Hellickson's a free agent. He's not amazing, but He's a major league pitcher. Um, I think Scott Feldman probably falls into that category. Um, Alex Cobb is set to be a, a free agent. Uh, Hugh Darvish, obviously, is going to be the prize of the pitching market. I don't expect the Mets to be in on anybody who oh, no. we consider a prize. Uh, but, man, I'd be tempted. <laughs> uh, there are guys. That is far from the entire list. But just... You know, looking up and down the list, some of those names seem like guys that maybe won't be at the top of the market who you might be able to sign at a reasonable deal to be a pitcher for you for, you know, three or four years. Is it the sexiest thing out there? No. But, you know, I I don't think you can do a disservice to the core of guys that you have. And right now, to me, that's Cespedes, Conforto. And Rosario, and maybe Smith establishes himself as as part of that. But I think those three, plus the other guys that are around, uh, I think they deserve something a little bit better than two ace-caliber pitchers, three question marks, and a question mark-filled bullpen, except for A.J. Ramos and Jerry Blevins. And uh, Chase and Bradford. Sure. Yeah. Hey. No. 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 I'm. I would love for one. If we get two, that would be great. But if, if one 
of the internal options finishes this year really strong in, in the bullpen and looks like he's a guy who you can start 2018 with and not feel uh, panicked about, that would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, what you're saying, all of it is correct. And yet this week there were, uh, you know, there were rumblings that the Mets had, you know, the, the reason the Mets traded their uh, outgoing free agents had nothing to do with, uh, with playing time for younger guys. It all had to do with a salary dump. And that's why the Mets did not really pursue major, uh, major pieces coming back. Now, I, I think that's a bit of an easy, um, an easy position to take that the Mets didn't care about who they were getting back. I'm sure that they're, I'm sure they cared about who they were getting back to, to some degree here, but I I do think that it's, it's interesting that the Mets are doing a salary dump or were, we're doing a salary dump, uh, you know, in the middle of the season that you would think that money is, is, is pretty much committed. And so, you know, these aren't long-term contracts you're shedding. So, you know, these are all one year deals or, or the last year of a contract. So the idea of a salary dump is a, is a little bit uh, unusual. Alderson said that about nine million of the salary that they had uh, shed was going to be earmarked for next season, which is you know a nice thing to hear, but also makes you wonder why the Mets, a a team playing in the largest market in the world, need to save nine million dollars for next season. It just brings up a lot of the same questions we ask every year. You know, how broke are the Mets? When is this going to be fixed? Will this ever be fixed? And, uh, you know, what do you see as the long-term prognosis for this uh, this team financially? Yeah. And I think he's said he didn't have it earmarked for next season, right? I, I had thought he did, but maybe I, maybe I misheard that. Oh, yeah. I think he, I think he had said... Uh, it's not specifically earmarked for next season, which is even more concerning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what? what are they, turn the lights off? Like, what? Why does? I don't. I don't get that. Yeah. So, you know, you you take his comments, uh, and and he had said basically that he had pitched and gotten ownership to be on board with going over the original budget for this year, because he told them if things didn't go well, he'd be able to. Do, trade away these guys and and save this money at the tail end of the year, essentially getting the Mets back to the payroll. One thing I think we can actually take out of this is, you know, uh, depending on how much more salary goes, uh, we can probably get a sense, and we probably have a sense right now, of what the Mets actually were comfortable with having payroll at this year. So, you know, it was at about 154. They've shed about nine. Right, so that brings us down to 145. Yeah. If they shed another two to five, then that's 140. Do we say okay, 140 was what they were comfortable with? Alderson got them to go a little bit higher uh, to sort of fill out the roster. You know, Blevins and Salas are uh, essentially that much money uh, on the deals that they had for this year. You know, that I think the most optimistic reading of it would be. Okay, they were comfortable comfortable with 140. Let's hope they're comfortable with that again next year. I don't think anybody has that reading of them. no <laughs> the, those statements. I'm concerned like it'll be 120, and depending on arbitration raises and everything, that may only give them you know 25 to 35 million dollars to play with uh, in salary they can commit next season. 
And, you know, it's, it's not a lot. Even if you're looking at a back-end starting pitcher or two and a couple of decent relievers, that probably goes over that budget. And, you know, and that's without doing anything in the infield, center field, or catcher. That's what I was going to say. You know, you're going to need a catcher probably. I, I, I think that the patience with Darno is probably gone. And uh, even if it's still Darno, it's not going to be Darno Plawecki to start the year. Right. You know, Rene Rivera is a free agent. So you got to get somebody, even if it's him, you, you do have to sign someone who willingly joins the team for <laughs> a certain amount of money. Right. You know? They probably want to upgrade in center field, even though I would still be fine with a Ligaris, uh Nimo platoon, possibly. I, I would rather them start doing that now so we could see what that looks like. But that's a whole other uh, story. They're probably going to need an upgrade somewhere in the infield, whether it's second or third. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know where all this salary is going to come from. It's really, it's really disturbing. Yeah. And again, hey, if they're going into it thinking 140, then you can imagine ways that it works out a little bit better. But if they're going into it and it's much lower, if it's 120 or even lower than that, you know, then you start to get into there. There had been some discussion um, before Harvey started his rehab assignment. I forget who even floated it, but a couple places had floated the idea of non-tendering him is like the crazy idea, right? Mm-hmm. And it is. It's insane. Like a, a team in New York City should not just let a pitcher who has that track record, as far removed as he may be from it, uh, he still has it. He shouldn't be a guy that you would just let walk to save, you know, even if he gets a low raise, eight, nine million dollars on your payroll next season. That that shouldn't be a thought at all. But if you're capping your internal budget much, much, much lower than it is now, then, you know, maybe it does make sense. And that's insane. Especially because they don't have, he's not the eighth guy on the depth chart. If he was the eighth guy on the depth chart and you want to cut eight million dollars or nine million dollars, that makes total sense to me. He he's number he's your number three starter next season. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that either he, he maybe Wheeler, but who knows? The craziest thing is that of the three, Harvey has still probably been the healthiest. Yeah, that is kind of crazy. Right? Like I mean he he's gone through more. But he's also thrown more innings over the last two years, I believe. I can, I can fact check myself here. But I'm pretty sure he's thrown more innings over the last two years than Wheeler and Matts. Oh, certainly, yeah. 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 I don't know. We're going to have fun with the AAOP this season. Oh, it's going to be a blast. <laughs> <laughs> What's so frustrating is that the Mets are they're in the window to win now. Yes. And they are operating as a team that is far away from that. Yeah, I mean I think and and just to confirm, not only does Harvey have more than either of them, he has more innings pitched the last two seasons than those two pitchers combined. <laughs> that sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it's, I mean, I think ownership has to show some sort of commitment. Will they? Oh, no, wait, not combined. Not combined. 
No, Matt's is actually thrown a little bit more because 2016. Sorry, Stephen Matt's. Hmm. I'm sure and he's no, listening. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I just don't, I don't see it. And I'd hate to get to a spot where it's like Mike Moustakis is, you know, he is a third baseman. He is a free agent. I'd hate to hit a payroll because they signed him and that's it. Because, of course, once that happens, David Wright will miraculously be healthy again. Because <laughs> just knowing the Mets' luck. Yeah. I mean, that is sort of how the, the way the world works, right? You lose something. You look for it for like a month. You buy a replacement of that thing. And then you find the thing yep. very shortly thereafter, right? Yep. That is that is the way of the world. The good news is that in that scenario, you can probably put either one of them at first base and Dom Smith can, you know, keep refining his uh, his skills uh, in AAA. Are all of those words in quotes? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm rooting for Smith. Because I, ha- I'm because I mean, we I- have to. <laughs> yes, not that I don't want to. He's a good story, right? You know, I mean, he's any but anytime you have a kid coming up, unless you know, going back to the beginning of uh, of our conversation tonight, unless it's a terrible person, uh, right? Yeah, root for these guys. They have a lot of pressure. They're, they're kids. You know, they start in Smith's case his professional career before most people even start college, right? Um, you know, he, he's, he and every other first round pick and, and pretty much everybody else too, but these guys who have high pressure on them, uh, easy to root for, but yeah, I, I'm, I have to, because I know that they are not going to spend money on a first baseman. I know that it's, you know, $500,000 on Dom Smith for a couple of years until arbitration. And that's like crucial to their plan. I mean, it has to be, right? And, and still, they've spent money the last few years, and I don't think it's reasonable to ask that they be the Dodgers because really the Dodgers and Yankees are the only, and you know, the Red Sox are close. Despite being in a market like those teams, uh, I don't think it's reasonable to ask that a team goes that high. Right, agreed. But it should be the case that money isn't too much of an object um, for a team that has the capability to contend in a city like New York. And, you know, it's... Like, I don't know if this is the free agent market for it, but, you know, maybe some of these average to above average major league player types of guys who you can get and you got to pay them a market rate, but you can get them for three or four years, whatever, whatever that market is. If you get a bunch of those types of players to help fill the holes that you have on your roster, that'll probably serve you really well. Yeah. And you're not, you're not hanging yourself, uh, you know, $50 million on the 2022 payroll that, you know, that is going to really screw you over later on. So, yeah, let's hope the offseason is faster paced than the last few because it's going to be stressful, I think, uh, with this question looming. I agree. And just uh, two quick hits before we get out of here this week. 
Uh, now we've watched a week plus of Don of Dom Smith. What are your thoughts on his play so far? Um, it, it's been a little bit of a rough go. You know, uh, I got the one game of this wonderful Subway Series that I went to was uh, the one that he hit his first major league home run. So that was cool to see. But you know, he struggled a little bit at the plate otherwise, and that's fine. You, you know, that's you can struggle for your first month or year in the majors and turn out to be a perfectly good player. Absolutely, so, yeah. Super, super early. Um, but there just hasn't been a ton to stand out yet. He muffed a really easy popped-up bunt tonight. And his defense has been lauded as as being quite good. And then you saw that. And obviously everybody makes a bonehead play. Keith Hernandez made bad plays, you know. Uh, But you just hope a play like that in an important spot he would have made. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, you know, just little things like that that are first impression. Um, You know, none of it's damning. None of it's calling him a bust. It's just not been Rosario and uh, I'm really trying to be objective with these guys because I was very high on Rosario and maybe a little more in between or apprehensive with Smith. Right. But Rosario has done things on the field that have been like, Oh wow, that's way better than what the Mets had before. Right. Like legitimately a a major league asset with certain things that he's done. Um, Particularly his defense that we've seen, uh, his speed has been, I think, better than than advertised. Yeah, it had. Yeah, and, and in fairness to everybody who evaluated him along the way, he wasn't that fast. You know, in uh, the early to mid stages of his minor league career, he's gotten a little faster. Um, so yeah, it's just nothing has jumped off the page or the screen really, because you know, like I said, we're not really looking too much at stats yet on anybody, but. Hopefully Smith will change that, and it doesn't have to be 10 home runs. It's just, you know, hitting the ball well and, and all that. He's he's hitting to some double plays. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I, I, I think he's going to have a harder time than Rosario because of two reasons. First of all, just physically, he doesn't look like your prototypical baseball player. And people are going to get on him for his weight, which we've already seen a fair amount of. Uh, and you could think that's fair or unfair. It doesn't really matter. It just means it's going to be harder for him to pass the eye test than Rosario. Uh, and that's just the way that is. The other reason is something else that you said. He's replacing Lucas Duda, who was not exactly a beloved Met by you know some of the mouth-breathing fans out there. But Duda, got, Duda had results on his side. You know, for for 2014 and 15, Duda had as many home runs as uh, Yohannes Cespedes did. You know, he he's a he was a damn good baseball player at times, and uh, you know, he Rosario is replacing you know old man Reyes and old man Cabrera, and you know some some guys that probably don't have solid major league careers at shortstop ahead of them, like you know a Matt Reynolds or a Gavin Cicchini or whatever. So there's not that that really uh, easy to point to success that you are replacing, you know. So it's it's going to be harder for Smith, and I do feel for him in that sense. Um, but you know, like you said, I need to see a little bit more. Yeah. 
And our, our last uh, topic for tonight, and this will be really quick, is uh, Robert Gazelman made some headlines this week. Uh, Sandy Alderson had said that when Gazelman came back from the DL, he needed to pitch better. When asked about this, Gazelman said he did not care. And then Alderson said essentially, well, you should. And Gazelman then apologized for it. Um, is this a story? Is this just a guy who maybe isn't super media uh, friendly or savvy? Slash a guy who's maybe just naturally quiet. Slash a guy who was actually being honest in an interview as opposed to just uh, parroting what the organization wants people to say in these scenarios? Or do you think that there's a, an attitude here that might be uh, problematic in the future? No, I, I think it's more who Gazelman is. Uh, I actually haven't heard any audio. I haven't, I haven't sought it out, but audio of the question being asked of him. Yeah, me neither. Because I forget what it was, uh, but there was an example. Somebody had tweeted something about a different update. But uh, they had screenshots. Four different beat reporters heard the same sentence and had four different conclusions about, you know, what they tweeted out about something else. So it's one of those things that, like the exact wording and and how it sounded, I think would be important. Uh, and I say that because I, I would guess that Gazelman was saying, like, I don't care, as in it doesn't upset me, it doesn't bother me. Uh, right, know, he he can say know. what he wants to say. I'm gonna pitch. I'm gonna pitch my game. Right, and having spoken to Gazelman for a piece on the site a few years ago, um, you know he's just that's the guy he is. He's not going to give you long sentences. You know, you can hear it um, if he's done radio hits or whatever. You know, he's just not a guy who's going to give you a long answer on anything uh that's who he is so i really don't think he was saying i don't really care about what sandy alderson says as like as a boss as a person i don't think he was saying i don't really care about how i perform i think he chose very poor words to say i don't really care that he said that and then the rest of the thought would be you know i'm i'm going to be trying to pitch my best regardless of the situation and you know that that doesn't affect me my drive as a professional athlete does but he doesn't give answers like that so he didn't do himself any favors and it'd be it's this very concise quote that's very easy to remember uh and you know to the extent that he sticks around over the next couple of years it's, i think it's something that he'll have to uh deal with and that that sucks because my guess is he does actually care. And that, you know, when he came back the next day and said, no, this is my job, I do care. Um, I think that is probably more representative of what he actually thinks. But you're probably going to have Mets fans calling into the fan and and uh, broadcasters bringing up him saying that one line uh, anytime he, he struggles or whatever, you know. If he if he puts on a few pounds, he's a skinny guy, you know. Yep, <laughs> it'll be overanalyzed to death. Yeah, I I agree with that. I, I think that the the real the real damage here is, and I think that Alderson Alderson seems like in almost every scenario he's the grown up in the room, right? Like he's a guy who doesn't get too hot under the collar about things. He he's a pretty cool character, so I don't think that 
uh, Alderson is going to be the one to necessarily take offense at this. But I could see, you know, there are certain rumored members of the front office or of the ownership group that tend to be more sensitive about these things. And I could see this negatively affecting Gazelman's future for that reason. And that's not fair because, like you said, I think he... I'm with you. I think what he was saying was, I don't care that Alderson said that. My job is to pitch, and I'm going to pitch regardless of whether anybody says I should pitch better or not. I know that. I need to be my best, blah, blah, blah. We we all understand what he meant, but it's just so much more interesting, especially during this miserable part of the season, to have a story here. Um, so I hope it doesn't affect him negatively as a Met or as a free agent in the future. You know, I, I hope that people take this for what it is, and that's that it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, and hey, maybe he meant what everybody else thinks he meant, but I, that's just not my guess. <laughs> and even if he did, we've all had bad days. Yep. Uh, you know, I've we've certain all, we've all witnessed this season. Yes, we have. <laughs> like, do you really care at this point? I don't. Like, yeah, yeah. This is that time of year when you're looking for any excuse. Because if you're not doing anything, you feel like you should watch the game, right? But if anything else is right. happening, you're like, oh, great. I, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I happen to land on The Price is Right. I haven't seen The Price is Right in five years. I'm going to watch this. Like, anything looks good compared <laughs> to the Mets right now. So, Yes. Yeah. So on that note, Robert Gazelman, just saying, just, just, just double the word count. That's all. Just say a little bit more. <laughs> give a little more context. That's, that's it. I, that's good advice for all of us. change a first impression and why would these five Mets ever want to here are the five best debuts in team history at number five it's Colin McHugh who began his major league career with the Mets on August 23, 2012 at City Field against the Colorado Rockies four other pitchers during the modern era including Hall of Famer Juan Marichal have allowed no runs two hits or fewer and at least nine strikeouts in their first big league start McHugh did that as well, along with everything he could do to win over seven innings of work. But it's hard to win when your offense never scores. McHugh appeared vulnerable early by allowing a first-inning double to Charlie Blackman, who advanced to third on a sacrifice bunt. Two straight strikeouts, though, ended the danger, and the Rockies wouldn't threaten for as long as Colin was still on the mound. Sentimentality gave way to necessity in the bottom of the seventh when Terry Collins pinch-hit Ronnie Cedeno in McHugh's spot. Cedeno singled, only to be left stranded and failed to score, an affliction every Met suffered. McHugh had the powerless task of watching to see how long his shutout effort would be upheld. Tried two batters. A triple and a single hung the one nothing loss on Bobby Parnell. The Mets managed one extra base hit for the entire game. At number four, it's the incredible four days of Mike Jacobs in August 2005. Pinch hitting in the fifth inning with your team behind 7-0 is normally a rather innocuous spot. But to Jacobs, making his first big league plate appearance, stepping up with two runners on is a great chance to prove oneself belongs at this level. And is a three-run home run proof enough? After maximizing on his cameo and earning a curtain call from some 42,000 in attendance, he was given the starting gig at first base when the Mets traveled to Arizona. 
We're stretching the rules on what constitutes as a debut, because Jacob's initial week in the Major League arena was just that remarkable. Likely too young and too raw to know any better, he continued to rake on the road. On August 23rd, another homer. The next night, two more. Over those successive games, Jacobs went 6-for-8 with six runs driven in and reaching base nine times. Jacobs continued to play well, slugging 7-10 and knocking 11 home runs in 100 at-bats while enhancing his trade value. As such, the Mets shipped him as part of a package deal to get a proven commodity in Carlos Delgado. Jacobs began in relative obscurity. Our number three debut had a bit more notoriety. But Kaz Matsui, a star in Japan, wasn't guaranteeing anything big. When asked by a reporter on the eve of opening day, 2004, if he thought about hitting a home run in his big league debut, Kaz responded, no chance. He may not have been a good forecaster, but he was exceptional at making a great first impression and not wasting any time doing so. On the first pitch, both of the 4 season and of his MLB career, he sent Atlanta starter Russ Ortiz's offering 429 feet over the center field fence at Turner Field. He became the first player since 1938 to hit his first Major League home run, leading off the season opener. When the Mets completed their 7-2 victory, Matsui was 3-for-3 with two doubles, three RBIs, and having reached base on each of his five trips to the plate. Believe it or not, in each of his initial at-bats to start the next two seasons, he hit a home run, including an inside-the-park home run in 2006. As great as these first games went, the rest was very underwhelming. Our number two premier didn't have the chance to play as long as Matsui. Dick Rustek arrived to the Mets in June 1966 at age 24. Against the Cincinnati Reds and their ace Jim Maloney, Rustek proceeded to have the game of his life. Never allowing a Red to reach scoring position all game, he became one of a handful of pitchers in baseball history and the only one in Mets history to toss a complete game shutout in his big league debut. And for those who cry about pace of play... Here's something that will warm your heart. It took all of two hours and six minutes. As remarkable as this performance was, the more incredible fact is what happened, or what didn't happen, in the aftermath. Rustic's next start on June 14th against St. Louis was a total reversal of fortune. Before he could get four outs, the card scored five times on five hits. He made only one more big league start, had six additional appearances, and never won again. A complete game shutout should be number one. What could top it? How about a brilliant day on the mound and at the plate? That's what Steven Matz did, also against the Reds, some 50 years later on June 28, 2015 at City Field. He had to wait three and a half hours past the scheduled start time, as rain from the day prior forced the completion of the previous game to precede Matz's initial start. But this lefty also had to wait out two years because of Tommy John surgery. Three and a half hours was a piece of cake. The delay didn't affect him, but you wouldn't know that after the first batter, Brandon Phillips, took him deep. 
Matz, though, settled down and helped his own cause in his first at-bat in the second inning, lacing a double to center field that scored two runs that put the Mets up by one. Todd Frazier answered with another long ball, but the Reds wouldn't fare any better. The Stony Brook natives singled in the fourth, much to the delight of many family members in attendance. That led to a tie-breaking run. He had another two-RBI hit in the sixth. With that third hit, Stephen became the only pitcher and the 26th player in the past century to collect at least four RBIs in his big league debut. Oh yeah, and back to his pitching. That was pretty good as well. Matz departed with two outs in the eighth, having allowed five hits and fanning six as the Mets won 7-2. That's all for this list. I'm Brian Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at BrianWright86. Hey everyone, this is Steve Seifer, and I'm back to go over our minor league players of the week for week 19. So, the Las Vegas 51s went 2-5, and five, which gives them a 45-75 record, and leaves them 15 games behind the Salt Lake Bees first place, and gives them a magic elimination number of 8. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies went 5-2, and two, which puts them at 68-48 and 48 for the year, but the Trenton Thunder still have a huge 9-game lead over them for first place. The St. Lucie Mets went 3-4 and four this week and are 20-29 and 29 in the second half, which puts them 11 games behind the Fort Myer Miracle for first and trims their magic elimination number down to 11. The Columbia Fireflies went 3-4, and four, giving them a 19-29 and 29 record in the second half, which is 12 games behind the Charleston River Dogs and means that their magic number is down to 10. Brooklyn went 1-6 and six this week and are 15-36 and 36 for the year. Staten is back in first place, so they have a 17-game lead over the Cyclones, and that gives the Cyclones a magic elimination number of 9. Finally, the Kingsport Mets went 4-3 and three and are 22-27 and 27 for the year, and the GCL Mets went 3-4 and four and are 14-25 and 25 for the year. So our pitcher of the week is right-hander Christian James. He made one start this week, and he threw six-plus innings of shutout ball, allowing five hits, walking one, and striking out nine. Uh, it's the second time this year that James has struck out nine batters um, and just eight starts, so that says something about the success that he's been having this season down there. And up until a few weeks ago, he was actually leading the entire Appalachian League in ERA and strikeouts, but two really bad starts back-to-back really ballooned his ERA and let a couple of other pitchers strike pass his strikeout total, but even considering that, among starting pitchers in the Appy League this year, with at least five starts, his 3.80 ERA is still in the top 10. His 43 strikeouts are 7th. His 3.07 strikeout-to-walk ratio is 6th. And his 9.1K per 9 rate is 5th. So there's very little um, video or recent reports to go by, so I can't say how much James has improved this year. But just based on uh, the info from him last year out of the draft, he's basically your prototypical power pitcher. Um, his fastball sat in the high 80s to low 90s, topping out as high as 94. In his delivery, he really turns his body a lot, you know, shows shows the batter his number, and then throws cross-body a little bit. So he gets a little extra movement and deception on his pitches. His slider is his best secondary. Um, it looks like a fastball out of his hand, and then gets very sharp late break, which is good. 
And he also throws a changeup on the low 80s, and it gets good fade. And he throws all three of his strikes, and all three are good enough right now that he can induce swing and misses. So James wasn't as high a profile signing last season as a couple of other prep guys that were drafted a few rounds behind him, uh, in front of him. But he's definitely performed the best out of the three of them this season. Cameron Plank and Matt Cleveland were the two higher profile signing guys. But um, Plank is out recovering from a shoulder surgery and Cleveland is still basically being treated with kid gloves down in the GCL. Plank, assuming that his surgery doesn't sap it, he still has the best stuff out of the three. But I'm starting to think that we were kind of got it wrong between Christian James and Matt Cleveland. Um, at least in our perception to the two of them. Uh, Cleveland has the velocity, yes, but so does James. And Cleveland's secondary stuff is nowhere near advanced as James's. So even though Cleveland was drafted a few rounds higher, I, I'm starting to personally think that um, James is the better prospect as of right now. So, our hitter of the week now is Louis Guillaume, who went 7 for 19 with 8 walks, 2 strikeouts, and a quad stealing. So, it recently got broken, but Guillaume had a 32-game on-base streak going. Literally, for over a month, Guillaume was on base at least once. In a lot of those games, he got on base multiple times, uh, either via hit, walk, or both. There were a few three on-base games. And then on August 6th, he had a game where he was 3-for-5 with two walks. And a few days ago, he was 4-for-5 with a walk. So that's two games where he was on base five different times. So all this time, he hasn't been striking out much either. Uh, For the year, he has 49 strikeouts, which is a 10.4% rate, and 57 walks, which comes to a 12.1 rate. So we all know that Guillaume is an amazing defensive shortstop, arguably better overall than Ahmed Rosario, but his offensive profile unfortunately isn't exactly conducive to the major leagues. He's a left-handed hitter and basically slashes everything into left field. He has a decent bat up this season, it's 331, so as a result he's hitting for a solid average. But that kind of the the kind of approach that he takes at the plate really isn't sustainable at the MLB level. And what makes things a little bit more complicated is that because of his approach, his power game is pretty much non-existent. Uh, He has a bunch of doubles that basically were balls that were hit down the line or that got by the fielder, but that's that's kind of about it for Guillaume's power. Offense is getting more and more plentiful, at least in the current MLB environment, so it feels like it's getting harder and harder to justify using a roster spot on basically a defensive replacement. I like Guillaume, I like his dad, but you really have to squint to be able to see Guillaume contributing on an MLB roster, let alone, you know, thriving and excelling. And that's kind of unfortunate. So those are our minor league players of the week for week 19 now. I'm Steve Seipa, and I'll talk with everyone next week on Amazing Avenue Audio. So remember when I said last week that we probably weren't going to have anything to panic about for the rest of the season because nothing's going to matter for the rest of the season? Well, Terry has always has proved me wrong. 
Dom Smith, apparently, is not allowed to finish baseball games. He keeps getting pulled in the 8th or the ninth for a pinch hitter. It's usually Jose Reyes, because why the hell not? And there's no explanation why. Last night, after he was pulled for Jose Reyes against Chapman, who has now given up a bunch of home runs lately. Anyway, um, it was Terry's quote was, he'll, we'll see down the line, down the road. There is no down the road. The season is over. The whole point of bringing Dom Smith up is to see what he can do against pitchers like Araldis Chapman. And it's, I know, I know it's ridiculous because I shouldn't be surprised because this is what Terry does. Terry refuses to play prospects. I don't know what it is. I genuinely don't know who hurt him. But we've seen Conforto and we've seen Dom Smith and it's just ridiculous. Rosario is still playing, which is great. I assume that was because there's some sort of ultimatum from the front office. Because if it was up to Terry, I would assume he would also be getting pulled in the eighth inning. And the the rest of the season is supposed to be about letting the kids learn. Seeing what they can do, letting them get adjusted, letting them get used to the majors and major league pitching. And that's not going to work if you don't let them see pitches. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We truly, truly appreciate it. We hope that you will go to AmazingAvenue.com where you can check out more work by all the contributors you heard on this podcast, as well as lots of other folks. We have everything you can want for the intelligent Mets fan, Uh, maybe even for some not intelligent ones. I can't imagine there'd be not intelligent listeners, but, you know. Who knows? Maybe. Um, so go to AmazingAvenue.com. Also check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can email the show, podcast at AmazingAvenueAudio.com. We just got an email in after we finished recording, so sorry. We'll get to that next time. Uh, we do love your emails, so please send them in. We appreciate it. We uh, would also like you to rate, review, and subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, in Stitcher, or in your podcatcher of choice. You can also download the show directly from blogtalkradio.com. And you can follow all of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Steve is at Steve Saipa. Brian is at, at Brian Wright 86 And uh, Kate is at Kate E. Feldman. And Kate's going to be traveling for a few weeks. So we're going to have a break in the Panic City meter. But I'm sure she will be updating us when she returns. And uh, that does it for our show. Until next time, through the tears, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.